Hey, everyone. Welcome to Locked on Lakers for Wednesday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Got some uh, parting words from Kyle Kuzma as he heads to Washington that we'll talk about today. Plus, the Locked on Lakers mailbag is open, and you people have questions about the Lakers' backcourt especially. We'll get to all that on Locked on Lakers for Thursday. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. First one to let you know that Thursdays on the Locked On NBA podcast, Jackson Gatlin and Matt Moore are telling you whose NBA stock is up and whose NBA stock is down. Follow the Locked On NBA podcast today on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Andy, lots to do today, but first... We have to start with the Department of Corrections and Retractions. Uh, we made a mistake last night uh, in, in Wednesday's show with uh, Andy and Sam about Kent Bazemore and Steph Curry and Under Armour. Yeah, and really, I, I have to say, I'm the one that pushed the mistake because I really was the one who openly scoffed the most at the idea of Kent Bazemore having uh, lured Steph to Under Armour and having hooked them up there. I thought, obviously... Steph is the guy that got Bazemore his deal there. Turns out, actually, Bazemore really was the one that got that hooked Steph up and brought Steph into the company. An interesting story. In 2012, when Bazemore was an undrafted rookie, Under Armour was nowhere close to where they were now. And Bazemore's agent got uh, Under Armour to sign Bazemore with the idea of, look, He's going to be close to some more established guys like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. So have my guy in proximity of them. And it turned out Curry's deal with Nike was expiring around the same time. And Curry noticed how Bazemore just kept getting constant, constant gear from Under Armour, even though this guy was like on a non-guaranteed contract with the Warriors and had no stature around the league at all. Under Armour was hooking him up. So once his deal eventually did expire with uh, Nike, Curry got a meeting with Under Armour. This meeting was apparently a disaster. Like they mispronounced Steph's name. Like they got a bunch of the first version of the LaMarcus Aldridge pitch. Yes, yes. But do you like shoes? (laughs) But they they eventually, though, uh, I guess, did enough for Steph, whether that was the check or whether the idea of just we are going to dedicate and build everything around you. He signed with Under Armour. It has been an absolute boon for those guys. And Nike has been kicking themselves ever since. But again, to to take it all back to the beginning, I was wrong. Bazemore was the one who brought Steph in, not the other way around. That was some excellent work, by the way, by Bazemore's agent to uh, to, to figure out how to do that and, and get it in there. Like, no, 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 no. It's not about my guy. It's about my guys' access to other guys. And, hey, you do what you got to do. Um, all right, so uh, we'll get to the mailbag here in a second. got some great questions. Um, and some of it actually is a little bit related to this topic. Kyle Kuzma was on uh, Gilbert Arenas's podcast, right? Correct? It's Everybody's got a podcast yeah. now. Yeah, the Gilbert. No Chill podcast. And uh, was talking about heading out to uh, Washington. And, you know – is there bitterness? Is there is there hard feelings? Any of that stuff? I mean, look, Kyle Kuzma had been traded for 
what, weekly for the last three and a half years, basically, it seems like. This was certainly nothing he was used to, and it finally happened. I wasn't surprised when he came down on the answer of, nope, it's all love, it's all good, I appreciate that. I wouldn't have expected anything different from Kuz in that regard, at least on that stuff. No, I mean, look, Kuzma was the last surviving remnant of the kids' era. You know, he's the only one, like literally the only guy who was still around when they made that trade who didn't get moved because it was all the guys who went to New Orleans plus like Isak Bonga and Wagner and like everybody ultimately ended up getting moved Even to finally. Players, like you say, you're right. Right. I mean, like literally the whole team, basically other than Kuzma, um, who with any type of youth ended up getting moved. So like Kuzma, Kuzma has to understand like, look, I'm kind of on borrowed time. Like, there's only so many times I can survive a big deal in the works like this. And, you know, Kuz, I think, has a lot of confidence in himself and has, I think, pretty big visions of the player that he can be. At the same time, though, he would have to be insanely delusional to feel insulted at the prospect of getting dealt for Russ. Like, it's Russell Westbrook. Like, even if Kuz is like, look, I'm not sure about the fit either. It's still Russell Westbrook. You guys, you guys know he's like a 27% three-point shooter. <laughs> it's like you, you looked that up, didn't you? But yeah, you're right. I mean, at, at some point, it's like I would trade myself. For, I was like, I mean, he's going to be traded for Buddy Heal. I mean, like, you know. It is an um, upgrade. And so, but I mean, what the other part that I thought was really fascinating about it, one of the other parts that I thought was really fascinating about it, at least, is like this trade to Sacramento was no joke. Like, you know, you go back to Ramona Shelburne's reporting on this from ESPN, who did kind of a, a semi-TikTok of that thing, kind of breaking down exactly how this, this happened so fast. You go back to that, you go back to some of the other news that day and like the, the, the tweets coming out that Montrez Harrell is in and they're all going to Sacramento, Buddy Heald is happening. And like, you know, all of a sudden, the way, like this was real. It yeah. was not a smokescreen. It was not a rumor. Like Kyle Kuzma thought he was going to Sacramento. And that pivot point is going to go down potentially as one of the most significant, you know, whatever, three-hour stretches where something in the NBA drastically changes, for better or for worse. They would have been excellent either way. But, man, that is a hard pivot for the Lakers and then for Kuzma to go from Sacramento to Washington. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one element that also really helps uh, Kuzma in terms of wrapping his head around this and being happy ultimately with where this is going is, I mean, Kuzma has been, I think, a good soldier, but he's also been pretty open at the idea of thinking he could be doing more. And by more, I think really, you know, a more primary role with the scoring on a team than he had been doing with the Lakers. Again, to his credit, he'd been doing whatever was asked of him. He was not openly complaining Kuzma with the Wizards could potentially be the second leading scorer on that team. Like, I mean, there's sure. guys like Hachimura and Daniel Gaffer, Thomas Bryant, KCP, Montrezl Harrell, but there's nobody who is a definitively better scorer, like definitively better position you know, to get right. behind no Bradley Beal. guy that you say, okay, well, that's the number two on that team. Whereas in Sacramento, there's Heald, there's De'Aaron Fox, there's, there's Halliburton, Halliburton, who they're expecting to make a big jump, played really well as a rookie. And what's what's great about it, I think, from Kuzma's perspective is, in theory, if Kuz can go there and 
do the things that he thinks he's capable of doing as a scorer while remembering to do the things that he learned to do as a role player with the Lakers, be a defensive leader. Now, look, his defensive numbers are not going to look nearly as good on that team as they did this one because that team is a train wreck You know, last year defensively, and you can only improve so much. But if he can take some of those habits that he learned in L.A., on a championship team, and we we kind of you know it can be cliche, and you kind of joke about it, like you know, learning how to win titles. But there is a lot of truth to that. Like yeah. there's the right way to do these things. Yeah, and, and, and it's a real he, opportunity for sure. Yeah, he he wants to he wants to still be winning, even if he wants a bigger opportunity. He's going to be alongside Bradley Beal, who is a legit superstar and has demonstrated that you know he may not be able to carry a team on his back to a championship, but he is at least not you know if nothing else capable of carrying a team on his back into the playoff mix. And I think he has a better chance of getting into the postseason with Washington than he does with Sacramento. The, the, before we go, the, the other really interesting thing about this, though. I think, was, I think I know where you're going. Yeah, go ahead. Kuzma talking about how, you know, again, it's all love. He's not upset about it. No bitterness. He said, quote, a couple days after I got traded, LeBron and I were hanging out, just hanging out, chilling. I believe him. Like, I think he's being sincere. At the same time, though, he knows LeBron oh, yeah. was a driving force in making this trade happen. Even if, again, he's totally insincere that there's no hard feelings on his part. Like, there's got to be an element from Kuz as like, you know, they're hanging out, sipping, you know, really expensive wine. Where Kuzma's like, I know you know. And I know well, that you know that I know that you know. We all know why this happened. Yeah. He's been walking around for the last couple of years, though, like with the thing going like, look, man, I almost got you out of here the first time. <laughs> yeah. Like at some point in that in that meeting, you think like, you know, he's chilling and hanging out. You think it was like, I got it this time. You know, like I, it, it, it's the equivalent. If this was like a mob movie, yeah. it would be the equivalent of I can give you the exact uh, comparison. It's when Michael Corleone convinces Sonny that he's going to kill McCloskey uh, after the hit on Don Corleone. And he explains why. And he says, it's not personal, Sonny. It's business. Like, even though it was his father that got shot, at the end of the day, this was business in terms of what it meant to the family. I'm sure LeBron likes Kuzma, appreciates his contributions, appreciated the way he put things to the side for the bigger picture and trying to win a championship. And at the end of the day, this was not personal. This was business. Russell Westbrook oh, in LeBron's mind gives him a better chance of winning a championship. I was just thinking in terms of... So when of he like, whacked coups, it was right, not but personal. I mean, but it's like the equivalent for me. I was just thinking like it would be the equivalent of Joe Pesci in Goodfellas, like sitting down with the guys who whacked him like somehow afterwards. <laughs> like, you know, like the... he Yeah, that's a bad room. example because in that case, it was personal. When they whacked Pesci and Goodfellas, it was 100% personal because he had whacked Billy Bats. That's true. No, good point. Like, I mean, it was it was business I in the sense that you can't do that. Go mob movie comparisons with Lakers stuff with you. No, you're you're already going to win that. Yeah, one. this this is my true wheelhouse. Yeah, <laughs> like if if, if there was a Jeopardy category, Lakers and mob don't go against me. <laughs> episode of cheers where cliff gets all the categories <laughs> exactly um that's a timely reference okay um but this, this is a, <laughs> that's your, a, that's your uh, a question 
Cheers is a legit show. Even the kids know what Cheers is. Uh, maybe I've never seen it, but I think they know what it is. Um, this 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 issue with Coos, though, and the, this story with Coos is actually tightly related to the first mailbag question that we got. And it's all about how the Lakers are constructed and how they will be constructed in the future um, and whether or not we'll ever see another group of Kuzmas. Uh, we'll do that next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by DirecTV Stream. So here's the scenario. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone, and then you've got your best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend who heard from this guy who knows this kid who's going with the girl, her login for the good stuff. There's a simpler way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle, a great way to finally get all your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like Never before, so you can watch all your favorite sports, movies, and shows in one place. No more juggling remotes. No more need to buy another device ever again. Best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. I'll be honest with you there. For a second, I thought you were going to go and like somehow weave in the my best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend saw ferris pass out of 31 flavors last night i thought you were going to weave that in that would have been too ambitious that that would have been i was i was ready to be blown away yeah (laughs) it is a wise man brian that knows his limits oh for sure all right so let's dive into the mailbag you uh can always reach us at cam brothers on twitter kamenetsky brothers at gmail.com of course leave a five-star review for us on the iTunes page, the Locked on Lakers iTunes page, and we'll read your question. It doesn't even have to be a good one at that point. Um, This first one, though, is, like I said, related to what we were just talking about from Jay Taylor at JTay1435. This is what happens when your name is Jay Taylor. (laughs) There are too many of them on Twitter. Um, At what point did the Lakers stop doing year-to-year contracts and build a team team, uh, for longevity? I'm a Lakers fan first but it's hard lately to support the team uh, versus the team. Meaning like, you know, you have a bunch of guys coming in and you don't get any loyalty to players, can't can't kind of build up some affection for players like you did. Perhaps Kuzma and Randall and, you know. B.I. and Lonzo, Larry Nance Jr. Right, like you have the vision. Granted, they weren't here that long, but you have the vision of like what it could be as they all come together. (laughs) I have my thoughts. Yours, Andy? Uh, The shortest possible answer is when LeBron retires. Um, And then if you want to lengthen that a little bit more, that answer could become uh, when AD retires because he's going to be in his prime or still in his prime uh, when LeBron eventually retires. And, you know, maybe he decides he wants to go back to New Orleans and win them a title like LeBron in Cleveland. But they have to maximize the windows of LeBron and AD And whether you find that aesthetically or emotionally enjoyable, and by the way, I get it from the perspective of fans. Oh, sure. Don't you want to have that kind of emotional attack? Right. I totally get it. it. But there's no point to having these guys, particularly LeBron, on this roster playing at this level if you are not going to milk it for every ounce that it's worth. It's pointless otherwise. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I mean, my my answer to that question is is very similar. The answer is never on purpose. <laughs> yeah, it might happen. I mean, look, yeah. the Lakers. It happened the the first time when we when we were there doing post game shows for the whole goddamn thing. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and I would like to remind everyone, those teams sucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while you know you can develop affection for the youngsters and that it generally speaking doesn't come together until you get those those other players and even then it doesn't always do it so you know the the stars i mean you know it came together for phoenix but they had really transcendent guys um you know certainly in booker and some other ones well and they and, also had it and this is you know good management and good timing in a lot of and also though this is a really key component they also had the dedication from within the building to actually settle in on these guys and develop them and do everything that it takes to develop them and by the way i'm not saying that the lakers who are decidedly an organization that uh doesn't do that i'm not saying they're doing anything wrong you know i mean at the end of the day you got to know who you are. And as much as we make fun of uh, the Lakers at times for being star effers, they at least know that they're star effers. Well, yeah, and- I mean, look, I mean, the, the whole point of these guys for a long time was like, I don't know if they knew everybody would get traded, uh, you know, for, for Anthony Davis or someone else. But the the idea is like we are creating, you know, these basketball players so that they can be flipped for a different basketball player was not exactly a state Look, secret here. I wrote a piece when we were writing for The Athletic. Um, we we first started right around the time when LeBron joined the team. Or it was, I think it was before he officially joined, but everybody suspected this was coming. And I wrote a piece about how Laker fans were going to have to prepare themselves for the idea that this franchise was going the mercenary route. Because the minute you bring in somebody like LeBron, everybody else, B.I., Lonzo, Kuzma, all of them, no matter how much potential you think they have, and all those guys have really shown that they're good players, you know, of of varying stature, but none of them have been busts or anywhere close to being busts. Once you bring in somebody like LeBron, everybody becomes expendable. And at the end of the day, Everybody was expendable. And I would say, by the way, and, and also there's a 17th banner. So, I mean, yeah. they've already gotten Look, what they needed out of it. The Lakers did this. Though, go go this, ahead. This, this is where, but like we get, because we get a lot of this and, and, and people are very active in responding and leaving comments on the YouTube page on, on the different shows. And it's a cool, like inactive community, but it's, it's, it's different. It's a very different group of people than some, I think, than we've seen on Twitter. And it's cool to see new names and new faces. Um, but we do get a lot of like, which guys are we most likely to hold on to? We, the Lakers, like, you know, could, do you think we could keep this guy long-term or that guy or whatever it might be? And the one thing though, that I will say is once you get on this treadmill, the answer to those questions is almost always none of them, particularly if you're talking about what I mean by this are like the one year deal guys, because once you get on that, that sort of treadmill, aside from the old dudes, who may not have somewhere else to go or might be taking a veteran's minimum somewhere else. But those aren't necessarily who people mean when they say, you know, if can we keep this guy long term? You're not looking to keep Carmelo Anthony for four more years after this one. The downside to what the Lakers are doing is they have to do this every year. As long as LeBron keeps playing, as long as Russ is here, you know, as AD is here, certainly next offseason, it's going to be a repeat of this one. And particularly Kendrick Nunn is an option, correct? So I, mean, I believe like, he does, yeah. And so if he opts out or something like that, the Lakers can keep him if they want to. But all these other one-year guys, if Malik Monk plays really well, he's almost certainly going to end up somewhere else. Um, Kent Bazemore, if he plays really well, 
very likely could end up somewhere else. And so the challenge and the downside to doing this thing with these this many stars is you have to do what Rob Palinka did this offseason, every offseason. And as even as well as they did this year, there's still, it's like you know what the limitations are of the guys that you're signing. You just hope it's like it's not that big a deal because you're surrounding them with three you know, transcendent all NBA caliber guys and two of whom are even, you know, at the, at the very, very top of that. It's a, but it is an interesting aspect of this. Like you do put yourself on a treadmill that the Suns aren't on, that Utah isn't the on. The Bucks aren't on. You, the Bucks aren't that you hope you can keep going with yeah. um, for the long and, term. And look, as far as the emotional attachment goes, and, you know, I am a, a much I'm a much bigger Laker fan like in real life than you are Brian like I, 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 I the kids say yeah I mean I I was a big fan of the franchise long before I was doing anything professional with them like I get the idea of being emotionally attached to guys who either start out with the organization or for all intents and purposes might as well have like you know this is something I know we're eventually going to get to with a mailbag question uh down the line or a uh uh what if thing but Fans are still pissed off about Eddie Jones getting traded. Like they're still mad. Like they are still mad, even though that cleared space for Kobe to be the unquestioned focal point guard of that team. They won three championships. Kobe won two more. Like clearly that trade in the end worked out just fine. Fans are still pissed about that because they loved Eddie Jones and there's an attachment that mm -hmm. you can have to players that were your own, that you know, I'm not saying it can never be replicated because fans grew emotionally attached to like Lamar Odom, to Pau Gasol, to, you know, to other guys, but it's, it's different though. And I, and this is, I think this is among the many things that becomes exciting for fans about Taylor Horton Tucker. It's not yeah, just sure. the idea that he could be really good. He could be really good. And one of ours. And it's one of the reasons people like Caruso is because now, I mean, like that's a great story. I mean, at least he yeah. was drafted. I mean, Caruso was a G League, you know, project that they found and I mean, all of a sudden became this. I mean, that's part of the reason that fans really, you know, like the guy. I mean, and so there was a lot of that. All right. Well, we got we got some other really good uh, mailbag questions, including one about THT that we'll try to get to. But uh, we'll keep on the mailbag and uh, look at who's going to start at the two next year. It's actually kind of an interesting question. We'll do that next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bars ever. Bars covered in 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew, not like the deadbeat ones that require like a hammer and a chisel and really a chainsaw. Really oh, it's it's yeah. the absolute worst. But Built Bars, easy to chew and they're healthy. They taste great. They're great for health conscious people, whether you're into the keto thing, if you're going for something low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and they taste great as always. You've got the 12 original flavors like raspberry, coconut almond, salted caramel, banana bread, new flavors like cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, cookies and cream. They're great for someone like me who just likes cool different, unique flavor combinations that doesn't want to feel like they're bored eating the same thing over and over. So go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your first order. Again, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. 
Uh, Andy, it's also it's that time of year. All eyes turning to football as teams are back. Yeah, on the iron to start the season it starts tonight. Tonight, Andy, you just uh, had a draft always, and the and uh, you got graded poorly by the computer. I did. I had, I had a, Wednesday at a fantasy draft that I got, but that happens to me a lot. And uh, we'll see what my grade is at the end of the year. That's what matters. Um, <laughs> Remember, fantasy isn't played on paper. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> see what you did there as always bet online your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season get all the updated odds props contests including online's biggest half million dollar nfl mega contest and the world's largest two hundred thousand dollar nfl survivor contest all open now at bet online you head on over to the website you use your mobile device you sign up today you receive a 100 welcome bonus be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo you make a bet on thursday night's game tonight uh, of the season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, Andy, and you lose often when you gamble, terrible gambler, your wager will be refunded up to $25. This is for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. From football to basketball to boxing, right up to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Um. So we we both given our our starting lineups for the season, um, both pre DeAndre Jordan, you know, or pre you know, while Marcus Hall was presumably here still, and then after the DeAndre Jordan here, which <laughs> theoretically pushes him out. Who knows? This is so weird. It is. It's all very strange. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just stay with the lineup I have while Gasol is on the roster, which is Gasol, AD, LeBron. Kent Bazemore and um, Russ. You could swap out DeAndre Jordan in there. Who do you think, though? Because like there are a lot of questions. Like if you start sliding lineups around, it really is that shooting guard position that has the most potential to change. So if you're predicting right now, September 9th, who the starting two guard is? This is a question from Aaron Soroka at Soroka Man. Who is the starting two guard? Because it could be Baysmore, it could be Ellington, it could be Kendrick Nunn. All of those things are theoretically possible. Yeah, I do think they're possible. But like we talked about with Sam and Andy yesterday, I think it's Kent Baysmore's spot to lose because he, at least on paper, offers the best combination of shooting and defense among the role Mm -hmm. players. And especially when you take into account like the defense that I think took a step back necessarily to some degree because the offense the last couple of years has just needed juicing. It's needed to become more dynamic. It's needed better shooting. And it is difficult to find two-way players capable of doing that while you're also adding Russell Westbrook and that salary and everything that went out in order to bring him in. So I feel like if Baysmore can maintain Maybe not last season's, I think it was 41% from behind the arc. But if he can stay at 36 or 37, he's going to end up starting because especially with Russell Westbrook and some of the issues he has defensively, who knows if Anthony Davis is going to be at the four or the five. But you know, if if he's at the five, you might have to you you might have to come up with some defensively okay, compromised me, questions let's, from let's there. Stay there for a second because that's okay. the thing that changes this equation because if he starts at the five, if AD if AD is the starting center, Basemore is probably your starting small forward at this point, or certainly could be, right? So or, possible, right? Or is there someone else that you would stick at, at small forward and you move and you start Trevor Ariza or you start Carmelo Anthony or 
I mean, because in that scenario, I think now you really, the thing that would make the most sense to me at that point is actually to see if you can get by with Wayne Ellington defensively as your shooting guard and have a real floor space or a genuine, you know, max it out floor space or that everybody's going to respect on, on there and see if that works. Um, first and foremost, that's probably the direction I would go if AD starts. Then so it's Westbrook, Ellington, Bazemore, um, LeBron, AD. Because I don't want to start. I don't want to. I don't want to pile up minutes on Trevor Ariza. Yeah, I I agree with you there. I just it's I don't know for some reason I feel like I mean you could also put Malik Monk in there if you wanted. Yeah, Malik Monk certainly is possible, especially because he's somebody that we've we've thought like his place in the rotation might be a little more tenuous. Mm-hmm. So if you end up sliding AD to the five, it, it does offer up a little bit more opportunity. I it's hard for me right now to picture AD starting at the five as much as I want him to. I said this many times, Brian. I will be thrilled to be wrong about this because I think it's what's best. For the Lakers, I think it's what's best for AD, and I think it's what you know takes away layers of complication that are really unnecessary. You know, they're really just about AD's preferences and not wanting to ruffle his feathers. But it, until I see more real evidence that that's going to be happening, I'm just I'm just assuming that he's going to be starting at the four. I think yeah. DeAndre is going to be DeAndre Jordan is going to be starting at the five, and that's going to leave Kent Bazemore as the obvious guy. What's funny too is though, like it's not just that AD. It's not even so much that AD is like light years better at as a four. His statistically is very similar. The Lakers are so much better, and this particular Lakers team, it opens up the floor for us, and it allows them to play all of these guys. Like mm-hmm. the, the the difference in who gets to play in that one through three rotation. With Le- with AD at the five versus AD at the four is pretty stunning. Like the yeah. amount of playing time that theoretically opens up, so that Monk and Ellington theoretically both could play. Like THT could get a lot of you know time in all three of those positions. Kent Bazemore is fine. You still have time for Carmelo Anthony. You still have time uh, for for Trevor Reza. Maybe even more limited minutes and you know whatever. But I don't mean I'm not even sure how much more. And then you get to maximize. Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan, whatever the way that you want in a 15 to 20 minute a night role or whatever. And so it's just so much of it is better. <laughs> just, Look, just like is. I said, I am, I will be thrilled if I end up wrong about this. Like no, nobody has to hit us up at Cam Brothers saying that I was an idiot, saying that I was wrong. Trust, I, I'm thrilled to be wrong. So you, you can well, yeah, say it, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to expect to have to see because and I'll, and it may not it may not start that way you might see a traditional starting lineup at the beginning and slowly this team kind of evolve into one where 80 it's like you look up and it's like wow i didn't even really notice but anthony davis playing 65 percent of his minutes at center and maybe they get that way by him starting there maybe they get that way by a very short shift for a center you know at the beginning of each half or whatever it is but it could there are a lot of ways that this could happen it's not like if it doesn't happen on opening night it's done for the year but it it is unquestionably one of the, the going to be the one of the major plots of uh, training camp once that opens, which by the way is not very far from now. Uh, flip uh, side of that question, though, from Luis G eight one zero four five L A ten of the new signings out of the ro- out of the rotation, 
Monk, Ellington. I'm adding in Kendrick Nunn. He had had a reason. I think that was a uh, mistake. Baysmore. Who do you suspect plays the least at the two? I thought that was an interesting flip side of that question. Well, yeah, and and uh, we'll save um, the THT question. We got a great one about THT potentially breaking out from John Smith at Boom Shaka. We'll we'll get to that one maybe on uh, next next mailbag. There are two ways to look at this. Kendrick Nunn is not theoretically a two, um, and so if he plays with Russell Westbrook, you could argue about which guy is playing which position. Um, but in theory, as a second guard, he kind of, you know, if he can get by defensively at a very small stature, he sort of profiles as somebody who ha- plays kind of like a traditional shooting guard. Mm-hmm. But that's not his position. But the flip side is, Wayne is when is Wayne Ellington going to play? When is, you know, Malik Monk going to play? Um, if Rajon Rondo does play, that might necessitate yes, the need Rondo to have plays, it too. That makes a big difference in, in all of these other things too. It's not it's not unrelated to the conversation we just had about where does AD play, because the more minutes that are available at the two and the three, where you can slide THT over to three, where you can let Baysmore play some three, and all that kind of stuff, the more flexibility there is to get Wayne Ellington, Malik Monk onto the floor in their in their positions, or to experiment with a, a two guard backcourt with uh, with Nunn and and Westbrook, and we can debate which guys which position. I'm not even sure it matters. I'm going to guess Wayne Ellington because I'm I'm sort of convinced he's either going to start or he's going to never play. Like those those are sort of my two positions there. Um, but it's a tough question, and it, well, it's I, one of those questions that's less about the individual players themselves than it is the rest of the Lakers' rotation, which is why I think it's an interesting. Well, I mean, some of this has to do in terms of when you're determining odd men out. Like Wayne Ellington is somebody that I mean, he is he's going into his 13th season. He is a professional shooter. Like he has not had a season below 35% from three since 2012. Like this mm-hmm. is what he does. And he feels to me like somebody that could go two weeks without playing. And then you put him into a game and he hits three threes and a half. So like you can put him on ice. He's not going to complain. And I'm not even sure how much he suffers for it, which opens up some opportunity for Malik Monk because he's certainly a more dynamic scorer than Wayne Ellington. Yes. And even if last season where he shot 40% from three is a bit more of an outlier, if he's 36 or 37% this coming season, which would still be on the high side for Malik Monk, but it would indicate him improving as an outside shooter, like his better size, his better athleticism, the more varied scoring, that's going to work in his favor. The flip side, though, with Malik Monk is he has the potential to be more erratic And with a team like this, Wayne Ellington is much easier for Frank Vogel to scheme around because everything that he and also too, I think he is much more of a a floor mover defensively. I think Mm -hmm. he he gets people. If you want to put a shooter out there and you want the 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 gravity and and like to to you want to impact defenses in a particular way where they have to pay attention specifically to a shooter, then you put Ellington on the floor. And then the last thing I would say this. I, I kind of looked at it as you talked about him as being a guy who could play for, not play for a couple of weeks, come in and, and shoot really well. That's certainly possible. I will say loosely, and I just looked this up, there does loosely seem to be a sort of a correlation to the more he plays, the 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 higher the three-point percentage. But he's also not a guy 
who doesn't play a lot. I mean, he's in a 20 minute a night guy pretty consistently through the last, you know, two thirds of a decade. So right. he's used to playing. So do being that being in that position where you don't play and then kind of come in all of a sudden where you're oh, maybe I'm wrong. It, it, it's not easy. And we saw that with Wes Matthews last year. So we'll see. I don't, I'm not totally sure I buy that argument. No, I may, um, I may be. Com- well, I, I, think, I buy the professional part, but I don't know if he's, I don't know. I don't know if you can do that. That I, you could be right. I we'll see. Right. I mean, my my theory with Wes Matthews was it was more about his role changing coming off the bench as somebody who had played almost exclusively as sure. a starter right. his but entire career and playing consistently that may be part of it. We'll I don't see. know. I, mean, I, I may be completely wrong on it. They've got to sort out. Um, all right. So we still got a fair amount of things that we want to talk about, both from the mailbag and then the NBA. Um, doing some really interesting things this year around COVID that could be particularly impactful in LA, uh, uh, particularly the, just the way the rules are going to work around here. Uh, so we'll save that for potentially tomorrow's show or or next week. Uh, we are going to talk some DeAndre Jordan and some Brooklyn Nets with the Locked On Nets guys. That's going to mm-hmm. be set up for next week. So that'll be a lot of fun. Plenty of good stuff to come as we get closer and closer to training camp. We'll see everyone tomorrow.